0: Hello and welcome to the Coaches View podcast, a podcast hosted by professional football coaches for those of you who love to look at a game in minute detail. We've got another special guest today, one of the good guys in football and it's nice to be able to say that but before I introduce him I'm going to say hello to my co-host Richard Webster. Hello mate. Hi mate.
1: You good? Not bad mate, not bad yourself.
0: Good. Internet connection okay now?
1: <laughs> we'll see, won't we? We'll find sure, out. We'll we'll find
0: time time out. We're not going to have another episode of you sounding like Vin Diesel on speed, no? Ah, but i got a
1: lot of fans, by the way. So yeah. that's do not a still, bad thing.
2: Do they still use dial up in Wales? Is that the problem? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> About what? 15 years behind.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So that person you just heard talking is a former Millwall Academy coach. And I do mean this when I say it. He is one of the good guys in football. It is Dan Minard. Dan, hello, mate. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Yeah.
2: Yeah, uh, mate, my pleasure, my pleasure. That was a lovely intro. I like that.
0: No, it's good. No. Um honestly it's uh if I'm being completely honest, it's probably not something we get to say too much uh nowadays, one of the good guys in football. Um so no, it's it is very, very true. But um what we're gonna do, we're gonna ask you some questions and actually put it out to Twitter as well. And we had quite a few questions back. So um we're just gonna basically ask you lots of questions about your career in the game so far and go from there. So I guess a good place to start, mate, would be Obviously, you were a former Millwall Academy coach. Um, you recently left for some exciting news, which we're not going to reveal. Um, but um,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, what's your journey in the game? What, what, where did you start? What, what's got you to this stage now?
2: Uh, phew, how long's your podcast? Um, <laughs> so, if, if if I give you the sort of the whistle stop tour, um, I started coaching at fifteen. So I used to be the oh, just just by being a captain at the team that I played for at the time, and one of the other players' dads had a little five-, six-year-old team, and he just said to me, Dan, you'd be brilliant in this. Come and do them on a Saturday morning before we go and play. So I literally just started doing that. Within a, within three or four weeks, the the young team was at Gallywood FC, which was a local team where I lived in Chelmsford. Next thing you know, I was coaching all the age groups from 12s to fourteen or nines to 14s, whatever it was. Um, Then went to uni, started coaching the uni teams instead of playing, which is a a strange thing that you're coaching the uni teams, not playing in them. Went to the States for six months, just working around different states, came back and I literally got a phone call from an old guy that I used to play for who got the job at Millwall INS. And he said, basically, come and help me out. So went there. There's a snowball effect, which you'll get the theme to. So I went there three weeks later, from being his basically his bib washer and his cone collector, I've got a job in the the girls' centre of excellence. So I'm going uni along, working in the girls' centre of excellence in the lionesses' ball collect, ball collector. Next season, I'm doing the reserves of the lionesses, and I'm the under 14s head coach in the in the the girls' centre of excellence. What it was at the time, they're known as RTCs now. It was called centre of excellence back then. Um, the next year. And again, the snowball effect. So the guy that run the ladies also worked in the boys' academy. Uh, the under-9s role come up down there and he basically gave me a little shove into it. Uh, had an interview, got the job. Uh, so if you at this time, I'm the Mill line, the centre of excellence under-14s coach. I'm the reserve coach uh, and I'm the under-9s coach in the boys' academy. So a um, couple of years later, that snowballed into me running the girls' centre of excellence. So I was the technical Director of the Centre of Excellence. I will then oversee the coach education program not coach education program, the the college program at Millwall Community Trust. So I'm coaching their 16 to 19s college program, uh, taking their games on a Wednesday. That's a full time. They're training four or five times a week. I moved up to the under 11s uh, in the boys um, boys academy. Kept going again for a little while. Next, you know, I become the Millwall Lionesses manager. I'm the technical director of the the Centre of Excellence. Uh, and I got moved out of the foundation phase to the youth development phase, the under-13s. Um, then at the end of that season, uh, a, a guy left called uh, Anthony Gow went on to do some non-league stuff and become a manager. And the job role became available. Uh, I went for it. I got it. So that was then six years as you know the lead youth development phase coach at Millwall. So, it started at 12s to 14s, ended up at 13s to 15s. I so just had a little shift in age group sort of halfway through. And yeah, I've just recently just left and then um, I can't reveal it just yet, but the contracts need to be signed. But I should have a, another role within the next sort of 10 days or so.
0: Gladden, that's a really interesting journey. I had no idea you went on yeah, that, that, that kind it's... of journey. So, a lot of coaches nowadays, one question I get asked is, you know, what level can you coach at in terms of the coaching badges? So, what badges do you have and did you? complete any of them while you are in Millwall? How, how did that go in terms of the coaching qualifications?
2: Yeah, I've been very lucky. I've never paid for a coaching badge because I've worked at a professional club since uh, I think I was probably about 19 when I started at Millwall. So I had my level one and two, which the club Gallywood I worked at paid for. Um, Gallywood actually then went to put me on my B licence, but Millwall took over the payment of that when I went there. Uh, so I'm now A licence. I'm Advanced Youth Award 12 to 16s. So that's the A license for your age appropriate, basically. So um, I've got all them qualifications. Obviously, I went to uni as well, so I've got a degree and a master's degree as well in sports coaching and sports psychology. So um, I think I like to be. I'm quite well rounded in, in that respect. Yeah. But um, when you're working in a professional club, they always have budgets for like in for coach development. So. Um, when I took the job in the boys' academy, the AYA was a prerequisite, but the course had only just started, so I ended up being one of the first cohort on that, which was really good. Um, straight out of that, there was they offered me a place on the A license, so I went straight onto that. So I probably had five years on the bounce where I never really came out of the advanced youth awards straight into the A license, which was great. Um, probably in a place now where for the last couple of years I've just had to do my own personal development which has been equally as good traveling round to places and whatnot but yeah they're, they're they're the qualifications i have but i mean i was quite lucky so i got in places probably on a lesser qualification than what you would mm. need now yeah. so i was i was the under nines coach middle one on a level two working towards my level my b you need a b now and you need your the you know the equivalent youth award which i think comes on your b license now if i'm right so yeah I I was in a little bit earlier before it really started kicking off with EPPP requirements. So From your experience, um, yeah. from your experience do you think sorry, that coaching do
0: you, from your experience do you think that coaching badges are <laughs> an accurate barometer of the qualities of a coach or do you think it's more just a necessary tool to to have um you know because from my perspective obviously I've there's lots of UEFA uh, B coaches that I've seen that I'm not too sure on and then there's some outstanding level two coaches that I think are incredible. How accurate barometer do you think that the coaching brands uh, are?
2: Yeah, well, I think you've got to have them because there is a, yeah. it's it sort of like, it's a tick box, isn't it? In terms of there is general proficiency, isn't it? So I think yeah. I think they have to be in place. Um, I, I think you're right, mate. Um, I, I've seen some unbelievable coaches which are, in terms of A license and stuff, less qualified than others, but no one could tell me that they're not, yeah. They don't connect socially better with the boys. They're not delivering yeah. stuff, which is at the oven. But, but on the other side, I've seen people that have gone through the process and have really stepped up as they've gone through the process. Right. And if I'm honest, the Advanced Youth Award is a, is a fabulous course.
0: Really?
2: It's a fabulous course. And if, if you go in there and you want to be a sponge and take everything on, no, I've got no doubt you've come out of that being better at what you do. Yeah. 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 So I, I do think they're important. I mean, and I think understood. it's down to the
1: individual coach as well, isn't it? About, you know, using the using the qualification as a, as a tool to to allow you to give a framework to to your coaching and then, you know, your experiences and know-how give you on the journey, your particular journey, which is different for everyone, then gives you the, the texture and the flavor to use your coaching badges and, and stamp your own style. Um, you know, it, it do it in your way a little bit, but you yeah. still need those qualifications to... To so have I've, the framework.
2: Absolutely. And I think other than sort of six months at the club Gallywood, I've only ever worked in if for want of a better phrase, the elite environment the, at the yeah. top level of, of the women's or the the boys' game. So um and when you're in that environment, there is an element of you know, you you've you work, you, it's an elite environment you're trying to create, so your work's got to be of the quality earlier. So outside of that, you know, you get a lot more freedom and stuff. And I think outside of that as well, being a a licence or a level two probably doesn't matter. you just got to make sure you connect with the players. Uh, I think in, the, in our environment, you have to be able to connect with the players first and foremost. And that's more important probably than any coaching badges. But yeah. I do feel the coaching badges sort of help you on your way. Um, but the, but I, I know players that have come out with unbelievable technical and tactical detail, but can't quite connect with the players and deliver it. Because they've not had that, they've not had the groundwork of having to go and work with the under eights at Galliwood. Uh, yeah. Two don't want to be there. One's got a runny nose. One can't do up your shoelace, and you've got six balls and two cones. So yeah. they've never had to. Never, they've never had the the groundwork. So, yeah, like
1: problem solving. Yeah,
2: I always I, found that
0: myself. I, 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 rich. Rich. That you know, it's the you you the best advice I can always give to anyone is go out and get experience, learn learn from others and of course you know you just said how important the coaching badges are and anyone that's listening that wants to push on with professional academies and whatever it is then you know recommend to go get them as Dan just said but you know the the it's the experiences that really build you as a coach isn't it and learning on the job and learning from others and actually going out there and coaching and observing as well
2: I think in in my peak so let's say when I was I was doing the under thirteen boys. I was doing so that was two four, that was six hours a week. Fast game that's eight hours. I was the technical director at the girls' centre, of Excellence. And so I wasn't living with a team, but I'd made sure that I was coaching a team once a week, and I'd rotate the age group. So that's that's about that's about that's about ten hours. Then in the days I had the community college, so that was two teams, the A's and the B's. That was two hours, four hours on a Monday. So you get where I'm going here. On a, on a for about two years. I was looking at sort of 24, between 24 and 30 hours of actual out on the grass coaching time a week, which, A, is exhausting, It's (laughs) absolutely exhausting. B, it's great in terms of you are – you know what happens when you're coaching back-to-back, you can't plan for every single session. So what you end up doing is you end up having a couple of sessions and you replicate it for the age and you – so you get to know – but you get to know what works, you get to know what don't work, you get to know what language you can use, you get to know what you can do off the cuff, what you've got to plan for. And if if you want to be a coach, you've got to go and coach. So I yeah. know, I've i known some people that worked in the academy, I won't mention names, who were brilliant, brilliant. But their development was slow because they were accountants or they mm-hmm. and they yeah. had a different job and they were only coaching four hours a week. Well, I know other kids that would come in and work at the academy who were... They worked for another coaching company out on another the side. They worked for Thamesmead under whatever it was on another day. And then they come and done their hours here, and their development was quicker. Not because they were any better or worse or any better knowledge than the other person, but they were in it, living it, breathing it. So I've always said if you do want to be a coach, first and foremost, you've got to be out there coaching. You know, yeah. you've got to be out there learning your trade, learn it. You know, you've got to go out there and have the failures and, and, go out there when it doesn't work and it blows up in your face. But when it blows up in your face, if it blew up in my face now, I know I've got four or five things that I could just go to in my back pocket which should get me yeah. out of trouble. Yeah. You don't you don't get that without
1: working that sixteen
2: hours yeah. hours or doing the time on the grass, yeah, yeah exactly.
1: Yeah. What about your degree, Dan? What about your university studies? You said you did a degree and then you did the master's degree afterwards. I, I did a coaching degree as well. Did you did you find that enhanced um how have you found now at the stage that you are that that's enhanced your coaching in any way, or is it more of a of a different um skill set that it's given you maybe in terms of um principles of coaching and that and more like how how people learn that kind of yeah thing.
2: yeah so i was I was quite unique, so after the first year of uni then i had, we had quite a big break, so I did the six months in, in America come straight back so from literally week one year two, it was kind of like I was uni and working. So I would be at Millwall four times a week, uh, one day at the weekend. That ended up rolling into two days of the weekend, plus the uni degree. So I had the best of both worlds. Mm. So I was, the, the undergrad was sports science and coaching, but I took all, uh, I laid it to all the coaching modules and teaching and development modules. And then the masters was in sports psychology. And the only reason I did right. that is because I knew I, I knew the direction I wanted to go. And I wanted to make sure I had enough strings to my bow that I, I was a little bit different to other people um i only knew i was going to be slightly different because i was working in an academy environment from 19 which was you know great for a 19 year old you know you probably wouldn't see a 19 year old in there now because you you can't get through to your b license in that sort of time but um Mm. i just wanted to have an extra shrink to my bow always i've always found like sports science is very fact and it's working on the the sort of the ones and the twos percents but I can't prove this fact. Well, if your head's not in in the right place, you're fifty percent, you're seventy percent, you're 80 percent down on what you can do. So I wanted to make sure I grasped that side of it as well. Um, the biggest part of my education, though, no doubt, is by by actually getting out there and coaching. So yeah. and and the, yeah, that that's the biggest part of my education. And the I know it sounds silly because it's three years, and then I did the masters part time, so I was working. At you, so that's five years' education. You think. Mm. I still took more from the actual day-to-day working and learning and breathing in that way. But there's so many other things that that's the, the degree sort of set me up with. Um, yeah. But you don't, I, don't, I don't think you necessarily have to go to, you know, there's people that got that thought now. You've got the ex-pros that are coming out and you've got the guys like us that have got the degrees. I don't think you necessarily have to have a degree. I don't think necessarily you necessarily have to yeah. come out of the pro game to be a good coach. Um, you know, I, I just decided that was the way I was going to go. Um, And I like to think it worked or helped. Um, Did you face obstacles?
0: Did you face big obstacles getting into, because a lot of people would love to say they can work for a professional academy and, you know, but a lot of people don't know how to do it or, you know, they they face certain challenges they don't think they can get over. Did you have obstacles getting in there or did you have quite a smooth transition?
2: Uh, First of all, I got very lucky that a guy gave me a call and he asked me to come in and do that. Uh, I got very lucky that his assistant at the time ran the girls' centre of excellence, and she clearly liked me and brought me into that. When she left and the next guy took over, he worked in the boys' academy, and as soon as there was a job role there, he recommended me. I had to do the interview process as everybody would, and I, <coughs> excuse me, I got the job that way. But I think I got lucky in some regards. that People asked me to come in with no experience. But then also, mm-hmm. I didn't get lucky in the time because I think one I grafted, two I like to think I had a little bit about me as a then, even though I was young in the game. And it, like I said, at the start it was the snowball effect. It just kept rolling for me. So very lucky and fortunate in that regards. But the snowball effect wouldn't have gone on if I didn't back myself up with any substance.
1: Yeah, so, I think, yeah.
2: Um, oh
0: you taking your
1: chances, basically. Yeah,
0: I, I personally don't believe in luck in football. I believe that you 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 get you get back what you put out, and if you do graft and you do work and you do you know even suffer arguably, then you get your due rewards. You know things things don't just happen and they don't just keep happening. You might be fortunate <coughs> to get an initial phone call, but you know if you're not at the level, then football out of all businesses will. Spit you back out very, very quickly if you're not at the level. So you've got to make sure you work hard to stay at the level and to improve yourself. And yeah, if yeah. you weren't do, if you haven't done a fantastic job and kept working and doing those hours, then you wouldn't be where you are today. Um,
2: yeah, so I mean, it, you you said knockbacks. I mean, I, there's a lot of people saying they get knockbacks and they overcome it and they're better for it. I, there's not many massive knockbacks I've had in my career. I've had little, road, little bumps, yeah, little bumps, but. It, and I'm the type of character you just you just deal with the bump and you go over it and you keep going. So, I mm. I had a job interview for the under 16s job at Mill uh, before I got the in the academy before I got the role that I got, and yeah. I didn't get that role. But going through that process and uh, by all accounts I came across really well in the interview. I was already known because I worked there, but I come across really well in the interview. That that's why they moved me then to the thirteens. They said the next chance that comes around, if you keep developing, it's yours six months later i've grafted again i've worked really hard i've thrown myself into being the 13s coach the job role comes up lo and behold i interview for it and i i get the place so I, I, I wouldn't say i've had many like big obstacles in my way but but any little bump i've had i haven't let it become a big obstacle because i i go over it you know yeah. you don't you know that, and that's, that's that mindset you were way. talking about yeah.
1: you were talking about psychology for players but that's just... It's a similar mindset you've used there. To okay, you didn't get the job you wanted, or something didn't quite go your way. But you've used that, and you've framed it in a different way. You've said, "Well, that's not an obstacle. I'm just gonna. I'm not going to allow this to to deter me from my path. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go, and then I'll get the next time." So mindset there coming to coming to the fore. You know, staying positive and and, and doing the right things, and then getting the rewards uh, because of that.
2: Uh, yeah. If, if anyone's worked with me, I think. And they had to use a word to describe me. I'd be very surprised if people didn't use the word positive. Yeah. Just because for me, I, I find it pointless being negative. Yeah. As a coach, I even find it surprising. a I, I just think, what's the point? Yeah. What's the yeah. point in, in it? You don't, you don't, you get a little bit of satisfaction that you vented for five minutes. And after that, you sometimes you feel a prat because you vented and you didn't need to. Or I've always, there's no real, there's no real benefit to it for me. So I just kind of think, well, I'll pr- brush it to the side and, and, and try and go, oh, crack on with it and i've always done well, we talk
1: we talk all the time to myself and harry and, and uh, the other coaches we work with as well and you know might be chucking it down or it might be freezing cold maybe there wasn't a great turnout that day or maybe you've had a, you've had a stinker of a session you've come off and you think oh my god I, i've let myself out that's not yeah happens all the time <laughs> but then happens. within five minutes we, it yeah we remind ourselves all the time we like yeah but you have got the best job in the world <laughs> <laughs> you coach yeah. football, you coach football for a living. So like you said, how can you not be positive about that? So, you yeah, know, there, and, there yeah. are challenges but at the same time, what a great way to go about making a living. Yeah. You know?
2: And there'll be, there'll be part of the sessions that you don't think you've executed right, you've delivered right, you think, oh, actually, was it as realistic Did I have the right play? You'll think all that but the kids will probably still enjoy the session and still get something out of it. Yeah. You know, so you, yeah. you, you know, if they're sitting there playing football and it's just a game, they're still going to get something out of it whether you delivered it superbly on or, or not and uh i think that there's no such thing as a perfect session is there i think we all yeah. we're all striving for it i'm not am not <laughs> sure anyone's ever delivered it and i'm not sure it ever existed
1: yeah, so no. um
2: but if, if you ever deliver that session again you know you'll do it better the next time yeah yeah. If, you, if you replicate. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, I,
0: want, I want to get into the sort of nitty gritty of coaching now, the, the detail of it. So, obviously, you have been in the system for a while now in terms of that Millwall. Um, me and Richard, we come from a perspective outside the clubs, working, working, trying to work alongside people like yourself. Um, being in an academy environment and a professional environment, what are sort of what are some of the biggest challenges that you face? Um, sort of in terms of player development, and are there things that you sort of like? you pull your hair out at, um, that you feel like is out of your control because obviously it's a different kind of environment because where me and Richard come from, it's a lot of it is a very individualistic environment. So we can kind of, you know, we do a lot of once one coaching so we can cater all of our needs to like the individual. Whereas you being at an academy, you've got a lot more players all at once. You've got a lot more parents. You've got a club philosophy to deal with. What are some of the challenges that they that belong at a professional academy?
2: Well, it, well, yeah, there's like, I mean, if you said you pull your hair out moment, I think I won't be dissimilar to anyone. People that just don't come in and maximise what they have got or or yeah. or give their best. I just, uh, listen, I'd, obviously I, I still work with them, and I'm, but I, that that gets on me. I just think, oh, if you've just come in and work, just yeah. come in and smile and enjoy it, uh, That that's something that, that, I'll be honest, you can, so that can get the smoke kind of out, out of my ears sometimes. Mm, yeah there's all there's always challenges in youth development and they're vast what they are I mean it it comes from first of all just getting the kids in get getting them getting the getting the best ones in for your environment getting yeah listen I suppose parents are a challenge I suppose parents are a challenge and I'm not going to batter agents here because there's very good agents and and intermediates about but there is that side of the game, especially as you start walking towards the 15s and 16s age group where smoke is being blown right up some people's. Yeah. And yeah. you just think, give the kid a break. Just like right. they're already in a good place. You just just let them, let them go. Um, uh, opportunity is there in it. I think, you know, you got to have the opportunity to get the kids in and, and give them a good games programme. And we're, we're fortunate in London. That comes as a given. Comes as an absolute given that you, wherever you go, you're going to go, you're going to be playing against serious quality, whether that's a cat three or a cat one or a cat two. Like that, there is some serious talent in London. So, we're we're always making sure that everywhere they go, it's always competitive uh, on that front. Um, I mean, if if you're talking about Middle specifically, we have challenges as where we're not like any other people, we've got four age groups on 3G at sometimes. Yeah, you know, and you and you want to you want to make sure that they're good in big areas, medium areas, tightest. Areas, but sometimes you've only got tight and medium areas, so you have them mm. struggles, you know. So we probably, uh, you know, and we're we're a good club and a good cat too. But we still have some of the struggles that you, you guys would have at at, at grassroots. Yeah. So it, you've only got the facilities you can get for a certain amount of time. um So I'd say that. That that's something we probably struggled with at the club, but then again, we're clever enough to find ways around it. We do four v fours and medium areas, so that way they get they get their space for yeah for part of the I'm not sure I'm not sure that's answer your question perfectly, Harry. But no, 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 it does. You know, it's, this... it's,
0: it's a general general <coughs> view. Yeah, that's a general viewpoint of it. And then I go, I guess looking more specifically into it from our perspective is that sometimes that you know in this there's some fantastic, coaches, fantastic clubs. You know, you're one of them. Um, you know, we've got a great relationship with you and Millwall. <laughs> um, we we, love, we we personally love how you how you do it, um, but you know there are there are certain you keep frustrations.
2: Players that like, get signed, the yeah, get well, yeah, that's, 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 the, that's, the, part, that's you players <laughs> signed. It's nothing to do with me. You you you've sent in good players, that's why it's working. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you know, yeah. but speaking,
0: but now there is a reason why we like to see you new players because we like how you guys work. But some of the frustrations that myself yeah. and Richard have in we do understand that it's a challenge for you know professional academies, but sometimes. You know, no professional academy is ever going to produce a team that plays for the first team. You don't produce teams, you produce individuals. And whether those individuals play for the first team or elsewhere, for us, that should be a result no matter what. That's a great achievement if you produce a professional footballer. Do you think that there's an issue with the lack of individuality in professional, in academy football, um, and the lack of um, development given to individuals. Do you think that it's an issue that uh, I'm not saying from Millwall's perspective, but from looking abroad, or from looking more broadly, do you think that it's an issue that clubs could do better at, or do you think that it's fine the way they're they're producing players at the moment? Uh, yeah, I, I do think there's
2: something in it, but I think when you're if you take out the word coaches, we're all teachers and developers, really. Yeah. And there's something in us which I think makes sure that you want to evenly distribute your time around everyone. You've, oh. I've always felt responsible for the A-grade player and the one that it might come through and that you... you you sort of yeah self. we we try our best to work with the individuals i think if, if we go back to the, the word the challenges that i had so at, at the club i oversaw once i oversaw sort of six coaching staff couple of sports science staff that were all part-time so i'm in the office all day trying to come up with these great plans and i've got tom and harry that finish at five o'clock i've got to get across and start the coaching yeah. at half five and and then it, it, the, one of my frustrations, and it was no criticism of everybody, it, it took longer to get your messages across, it took longer to get your philosophy the way you want to work, and, and and the club's philosophy, that is not my own philosophy, um, across, um, but yeah, individuals, I think, you know, we we do push for the individuals at the club, you know, we have little plans, you know, everyone has an individual development plan, They're, everything that is set for them, comes off their individual development plan. And the more you do that, the more that's in your mind, then the more you go out and give a player a set challenge during that time. Um, we actually do games where we we build into a part of the, especially at the 15s and 16s, we build in sort of a, a games part, where we try and go 8v8 8 8 to an M 11, 11 But we don't set it up for a theme. we set it up for the players. So, for example, uh, we played an 8v8, 8 8, and we really wanted a, pl- a player to move the ball quicker so we made sure he was 3v1 yeah. overloading in the centre of the midfield so we had no t- do you get what i'm saying there so yeah we yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we we did do bits and pieces uh, for it but i think the biggest thing is that that it's the dream for everybody but it can't be everyone's dream to be a professional football player because there's not enough spaces there's too many yeah, kids course. that want to play football so yeah. um and i think one thing that uh, the club that I've been at, Millwall especially, is I don't think they get promised anything. You know, yeah. when they come in, we, we give them some... <clears throat> well, actually, I do promise them some things. One, that, you know, we're going to try our best for you. Two, that they'll enjoy the experience because we've got a back our programme. And three, that they'll whatever age they leave us, they'll be a better football player. So I, I promise yeah. them things. Yeah. I never promise scholarships. I never promise pros. I never promise boots. You know, and I think if you keep the... Expectations and a little bit of realism in it, and anything that exceeds that is a plus. Yeah, it, it is a mm. plus. And I think when everybody's got that level of expectation, you know, it, it becomes a little bit about everybody trying to develop rather than just specific individuals. But the, the I've never felt pressure to get a result at Millwall, but I have felt pressure if we're not getting good enough scholars or we're not getting somebody that's right. getting into our first team. That's where the right. pressure comes because you know you've got to earn you got to prove you're of value, haven't you? We yes, can't do it. What's the point in the club backing it? Oh, yeah. with the, the money that they do the academy.
1: There's a job. There's a job to do there, isn't it? So it's. Um, I guess that's the pressure. But that's that's one thing I wanted to ask about is we've we've felt in in our visits and our talks with yourself and obviously we've sent a couple of players down there and that that's gone well so far and all all of those things and we've we've uh, worked with other clubs as well but we like the feel of Millwall. It feels like. It feels like you really take care of the players. And um, like you said it there, the, the players are, are going to enjoy the experience and, and, and all of those things. It felt very warm when we went down there in terms of the environment, in terms of the coaching and um, how the coaches interact with the players. Is this something that is um, driven into yourselves as coaches from the hierarchy there? Is this something that Millwall yeah, wants that, uh, they want to engender absolutely. that?
2: Absolutely. That is not an accident that people come in and they enjoy our environment so we know we have to be different in other ways because we can't give them as much as you know we've got West Ham's Tottenham's Chelsea's we've got all these teams around us we can't give them what they give them we haven't got the facilities we haven't got the manpower so but we've always been a family club and you know the values of the club are working man's values and part of that is it's one in it's all in you're all the same once you're in you're part of the middle family and we and that is people like yourselves that even come in when you come in you get treated just how we treat anybody else in there and that has yeah. been rammed home from the bosses for a long time for us and I like to think you guys when you come in I've practiced what we've preached in that environment as well and yeah, yeah, absolutely. you guys when you come in and and the players and you know it, it, we can't guarantee it so, like, some kids come in on trial and unfortunately where we haven't got like a vetting process and sort of you know, development centres that feed into us. Sometimes we get players that come in that just aren't quite at the level and they're a mm. bit, you know, and it's it's difficult and, you know, you can't always control what the kids say to and what you can't hear and things like that. So I'm not saying stuff like that doesn't go on, but, you know, we try really, really hard to make sure that everybody is welcome, everybody loves it, it's safe, it's enjoyable, and and that runs alongside development. Does, does yeah. that make sense? You know, it, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it yeah, doesn't absolutely. swing either way. They're right up there together. Um, yeah, and I think that's working. And we get because, close because, to it.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, uh, from our side, like you said, oh, I'm sure you guys um, would test that. But you had a great experience. Well, we went down there. We were made to feel welcome. We were made to feel like that our players were going into a place which which we valued, which is important to us. I've developed players for a long time, um, and I think that's a massive benefit for football clubs because. Like you said, you're in London, especially in that market. Uh, There's talent everywhere. There's outside academies like ourselves or grassroots, you know, like ourselves, who've got this this pool of of talented players. And you're going to gravitate towards places and and full relationships with places which you think, okay, they're going to treat your players right, as in you know, they're going to enjoy it, they're going to be safe, and they're going to be developed, and they're going to to come out a better player. So it's, it's going to have a massive net and that's going to be seen in which which keep coming from from academy players so it's obviously been a success down there
2: Yeah, it's we've, you know unfortunately I'm in a position where I have to do a lot of the releases and I take charge of that because it it doesn't fit in with the part-time schedule and and the amount of times I've ended up, you know, having these conversations with players and players have come back to me and said they've loved the experience and please pass on my regards to the coaches they've been fans, you know I'm really surprised that when you had these conversation, players, the amount of thank you and good, good wishes that we get back. But the, the fact is that we are honest with them at day one. We te- I, my rehearsed speech to everyone is one of three things can happen: we'll offer you a place because you're a good player, we'll we'll release you because you're not quite at the level for our opinion, or we'll extend the trial if we need to. If we have mates, so people know where they stand at day day mm. one. And I've always said if they answer us an honest question, we'll, we'll give an honest answer. So when coaches come up to me and say, oh, they've asked this question. What do you think? be, be honest, yeah. you know, just, just completely just be that. And I think people, people want that. People want a little bit of clarity. People want a little yeah. bit of honesty, whether it's good or bad or indifferent, you know, yeah. people yeah. do. And we don't, we don't shy away from that. You know, we're that's, not brutal, but we, yeah. we're, we're honest.
0: And that, that's a big issue that we found when we speak to people. I mean, me and Richard have lost count the amount of people that we speak to in the game. And it's, it is there is dishonesty and it's like you know they come across oh you know it's all well it's all good and they'll say they do these things and then they just don't deliver um or they'll make this promise and it doesn't happen and you know it's very difficult at times to find the genuine people um but I want to sort of go on quickly to sort of ask this question obviously where me and we should work outside academies the professional academies and we work with professional players and academy players on an individual basis um, we always say to players, um, you've got to do more outside the club. Um, you've got to do more. You can't just rely on the club. Now, obviously, that would probably um, annoy a few people inside professional clubs. How do people in professional clubs feel about players doing extra work on the outside, whether it's one-to-ones, or how do they feel about that? Yeah, n- not
2: not me. Um, everybody does extras if they're the best. Yeah. everybody, And, and that extra could, You know, I think if you look at sort of... The, football gets a, a bit of a bad rep, in my opinion. For them, like, oh, you do this, they get released at the end of it. But if you look at, like, young gymnasts that are in the gym yeah. At yeah. all these hours being bent into all good places, like kids that are in the swimming pool at 6am doing laps for for two hours. So to get to the top in anything, you've got to put in the graft. So yeah, and yeah. I don't think what we do actually what you probably do in within your program at an academy is very good but for me everybody seems like they're doing extras so and if they're good extras and you don't and you're exactly the same as somebody else you're probably going to get left behind um so i I, i'm all for it I, i i'm all for it um Uh, I don't see why a kid couldn't go and do an extra technical session. Um, You know, we've got some very good physical development staff and sports scientists at Millwall, but they just can't get the the contact time they want with each player because we're not staff enough, really, to to do it. You know, they're a bit of a one-man band at each phase, but that's just, you know, the size of the club we are. So some kids have to go and do extra physical work. Some of it is us setting them programmes to go out and do elsewhere. And if they don't do that... yeah. You know, there's so many kids that want to get to the top. Somebody else will. Some, somebody else will. Yeah. And I, I don't think that's um, exclusive to football.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, I don't Absolutely.
2: think that's exclusive to football or, yeah. or sport in general. I think that's that's anything. You know, if you want to be the best violinist, you've got to go and play the violin. And you've got to come home with your music book and you go, you've got to play it. Yeah. So I don't, I, I don't see that being anything that anyone should be club inside club should shy away from and also there's, there's enough football love to go around we we took a very ethical stance in lockdown which I think was very good from the club that we weren't going to provide anything footballing for the players we're just going to provide physical programs because there's probably people like yourselves whose who's livelihoods and incomes had just completely stopped out of the blue mm. and there was a lot of good stuff and soccer companies around our way that were doing great Zoom classes and we were like there's enough love in football to go around so we let them do it
0: yeah. Why do you think we're doing, doing this podcast, mate? It's because we ain't making any money anymore. That's why.
2: I like to think I'll take a refiner's fee for telling them everyone should do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: definitely, mate, definitely, ten percent. Yeah,
2: yeah, I, I think they have to. <laughs> yeah. but also, as well, I think if you come in, clubs have their way of working. They have the how they want to play. They have the type of player they want to develop. You guys might have a completely different perspective to what we have at Millwall or or another academy. You. Pr- I'd hazard a guess that you guys probably go wider because you've got to then try and fit it in some way. If you go really yeah. niche, you'd never be out of the place. So yeah. they probably need to come to you guys to get a different, fresh eyes, different perspective.
0: Well, I'm really, different. I'm really interested that you said that because you know we have done. I, I, I guess that so you don't have a problem with um, players doing more than the outside. And I guess if clubs are being honest, they don't have too much of a problem with it either because you know at the end of the day, the purpose is to make their players better. But obviously, there's, I mean, speaking from my perspective, there's a lot of one to one coaches. If we're talking about that uh, world, where it's perhaps not stuff that I agree with. Um, But do clubs, for example, are you aware of how clubs can perhaps be disappointed with the certain extra work that players can do? Because, you know, for example, let's say that we've got a player that is being developed to play for a really specific team. But as you kind of just said, well, our objective is to help the player become a pro, not necessarily for that team. So we might work on stuff that that club is It's not telling them not to. But let's say, for example, a club wants their winger to stay out wide and get cross after crossing. Well, we're like, well, we need to add to your game and make sure you have more to your game in case you don't play for that club. Do clubs get perhaps frustrated with the type of extra work players do on the outside?
2: I, I'm sure I'm they sure. do, but you, you've got an allegiance to that player, not to the football club that he plays for. You've got an yeah. allegiance to develop, whereas we've got allegiance to develop how the club wants it to be developed. Yeah, So I, I think we just got to appreciate that we'll have to coexist together. But so do you think there's... Do you think, no, I would have so, no problem.
0: Yeah. So just on that, do you think that then perhaps there's an avenue where clubs could perhaps do more to work alongside coaches on the outside and have these discussions about players? Or do you think that the club has to stick to their way of doing it? And that's got to be it. Um...
2: No, listen, you can always connect outside and you can share individual development plans for the players and you could then go and pick three of the things on that and go and work with it. And I think if if that's of benefit for the player, then absolutely people should do it. But yeah. I I do also think sometimes it's really good for the players to come out of that environment and get fresh eyes and get fresh perspective. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, could it be more closely aligned? Yes, I pr- I probably wouldn't want to do that as an academy because I actually, if you put it in terms of like a games program, I want my players to go and play for their school and their district because they'll get a games program which is different to us. They'll play, they might have to be the best player in the team that has to drag them through. They might play in a different position. It's a different experience that we're not providing them with. And I wouldn't want to stop that experience for them. So Mm. it's the same with coaching, they're getting different eyes different environment you know it might be a little bit more relaxed they might do a little bit better in that one so I I wouldn't want to take that one I wouldn't want to keep it in the clubs I think it's more beneficial that it is separate and I I, I, I think that's
1: I think that's right because then it would become it might become too clubby and it might just like the individual training might just then be seen by the player as another thing that the club does and actually one of the benefits of doing individual work outside is that it's not the club not in terms of that's a criticism of whatever club it is, but like you said, Dan, that it's 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 just fresh. I've been I'm with the club four days a week, five days a week, but on Sundays or Saturdays, whatever, I do a half hour technical session um, with someone else, and it's different. And it being different is the best thing about it. It might just be that they need like to to be un clubified just for yeah, you know, like yeah, an yeah. hour, just just to like just to to th- like we we've had sessions with players where we might do half an hour and then the other half an hour might be sat with them watching uh watching video um sp- like specific to them and it's it's hard for clubs I know clubs do that, but it's hard for them to to apply that amount of time but it's refreshing for them and they might come away with it even if they come away with, it with one thing they're like all oh, right yeah that that works or that helped or I had that problem when I was at the club last week maybe i'll That'll just that'll just be in the back of my mind. How can I not help? And I think if you brought that into the club, then it would just become like another day of school. If you know what I mean? Um, yeah,
2: I, I think I think most clubs they try and give as much as they can, and we have got systems like the huddle system, which really help us doing yeah. that. But then yeah. you're only getting, let's say, I, I've got some players that worked with me pretty much through from nine till sixteen. So I was very conscious that they were, on the whole, generally you only getting my opinion. Mm. You know, and you know there's no holy Grail in this game there's other courses they'll take things from 810 coaches which will then follow them through yeah. so yeah that, that that's why I wouldn't let this the academy environment sanitize your environment and also in our environment everyone's competing for the next deal so there's that one when, when they're with you guys they're just playing to get better yeah they're just playing yeah. to get better so the environment is implicitly different because of that yeah. and you don't if you put the club next to it it adds that pressure. I'm doing this. Look at another. Sometimes they don't need that. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. they can just go and play with that absolute freedom. And dare I say, that might be when experimentation and trying and trial and error becomes at his absolute best. And mm. they learn from that even quicker, maybe.
0: Before we move <laughs> yeah. on, on that, yeah, on that,
2: like you just said it there about trial and error. I guess I'm going to make it a bit more rela-
0: different. Is that um, obviously in this country, there's been, I guess, in the last. 15 20 years of 10 years even there's been a massive shift in how players have developed um what's your perspective on you know the importance of winning and how far do you think i personally think that maybe there's a there's a there's a chance we've gone too far that winning doesn't matter so for example if I cite an example we saw an under 18s academy team last year and um you know under 18s
1: those lads could be on the you first hated team. this
0: game didn't you i cite it all the time uh those lads could be on a first-team pitch. Um, a lot of them will have pros. You know, under-18s, it's high up. Um, and they were 5-0 down within 30 minutes. Now, you can come and tell me that, you know, the result doesn't matter. But for me, that's taking it too far because at the end of the day, sport is a, you know, football is a sport where the idea is to win and players, yeah, have, to learn to, players have to learn how to win. Um, do you think yeah. the, the idea that the result doesn't matter when it's all about developing players has actually gone too far a point of where the result doesn't matter at all. Do you think there's a did you think that's been an issue uh, that you've seen?
2: Yeah, yeah, possibly. I think if you look at it on a sliding scale, you've got the end where results regard we don't care and everything is about winning. And it's where you put yourself on that sliding scale or or what you ramp up at what stage of the year or to what age group you're with. Yeah. Um I've always felt some of the best kids are the ones that want to win anyway. I've always felt some of them kids that it hurts even when you're not talking about the result it, it hurts them yeah. and yeah, I yeah. don't and I think if you've got kids that have something like that in them I do feel there's something in that for longevity um I personally I personally would move the scale of where I went between winning and losing dependent upon my age groups um yeah. ex, sometimes we do uh we do at the younger age groups of 12s and thirteens, we did derby days so if we mm. played a Charlton or a West Ham, it would be result driven. There's sometimes when wow. we we'll built into the program for two weeks back to back we will actually make subs upon performance. Mm, so nice. Cause sometimes you know it is with coaches, you go in, your subs are already done before the game's already kicked off. Yeah. So yeah. regard and a lot of time they're on for their minutes regardless of performance. And sometimes they actually need to know, well, you stayed on because you've done really well. Or actually mm. you came off today because you know what, you was actually under underwhelming. Yeah. Um I think I think winning can be consistent f- from when you get to 11 v 11 age groups. As long as you don't sacrifice minutes um, yeah. d- and development, of. Uh, if, if you're just picking boys which have got no longevity because they'll get you a result now compared to other, others that might be have more potential. As long as you are doing it within that development strand, I don't think winning is a problem at all. Interesting. I don't think winning yeah, is a problem at all. Yeah, that it's, is interesting. it's it's just you've probably got a level what you wouldn't want to go over. Hopefully I've got that across clearly. You know, yeah, 100%. If, if you're making subs you, you can go out and win a game, no problem, and you can put the kids in charge of winning. But if you are only selecting the kids for the the result now and you're sacrificing other ones' development for it, you've probably you probably not got the balance right in my opinion.
1: Yeah. yeah. We've Understood. played against a few teams where um a few academy teams where... We get what they're doing, and we—I it's, it's, I admire it in a sense. But they'll stick rigidly to something like playing out from the back, for example. So Harry knows the example I'm talking about. We won't name the teams, but you know, they, a, a club we played—they've got a goalkeeper who's—he can't distribute the ball with his feet. It's—it's it's not in his skill set. Yet they're forcing this lad to do it time after time mm. because obviously the philosophy is to play out from the back. And like we just honed in on that, and obviously won the game. And our thought at the time was like, "Why are they doing this? Why are you sticking rigidly to something you can't do in a in a he's not able to do that yet? why don't you let him do that once you 've coached him to do it because all you 've done now is that game was inevitable. We were going to win that game from the first five minutes yeah if if they if they pursued with that tactic, and that was that was to me the ultimate example of like they value development over over winning and actually got neither. Because he won't have developed that day, he would have. He would have just. He's shrunk. That's now when it's nightmare, nightmare file. You
2: know. I, I, suppose, I suppose what they've sacrificed there is decision making more than result yeah. because they forced him to do something. Which it sounds like you've gone and gone right. We're just going to step right up on you, and then the space might be over there. You might have a one v one that way. So I think us as a club. Uh, and our goalkeeper coaches have always been quite clear on this. They have to make the decision. We don't tell them they're going here or there. They make the decision. Yeah. When we when we do that, we might often play a little bit less football than what we want to play. But but it's real to the game, isn't it? It's, that's real, yeah, that's real to the game, leader. though,
0: isn't it? How many... How, if we're yeah, talking they, about this, how many... How, and this wasn't a young age group that Richard is talking about. I'm not saying they weren't under-18s, but yeah. they weren't young young. It was, still a, it was an age group where you need to learn how to play real football. And, you know, how many clubs in the country... Actually, no, the answer is zero. How <laughs> many clubs in the country say to the goalkeeper, you must pass five yards no matter what? It's zero. Yeah, you yeah. Could, even if you want to cite Man City as someone that a goalkeeper does it 95% of the time, well, okay. But then yeah. you're trying to produce players that are playing pro football at all levels. And that doesn't exist in the real game, they do, whether you like it or not.
2: Yeah, it's again, it's your sliding scale, isn't it? So yeah. would would I do that? For one week or one block of work because I felt it was good for the goalkeeper. Yes, I would, but I wouldn't live mm. down this end of the scowl for the whole season. I'd then bring it back to the middle or I'd, I, you know, I'd tilt it across. But it, I suppose you've got, you've got winning, you've got yeah. how you're playing, and then you've got individuals. So it's on your side If I really want to focus on that individual for a game, I might put it that way. If I want yeah. to develop on how we play, I'll probably sit in the middle. If it's about winning, I might say, well, the fullbacks you're out, well, that's where you're going. Yeah, so it, yeah, it's, yeah. it's where you, you you sit on that scale. Uh, you have to choose your own scale and you have to back back yourself. Yeah, my, my scale will be forever moving depending on what I felt was the challenge I wanted to get out for that. Sort yeah. of but it's not moving every week. I, I, I like to go a couple of weeks where it's a little bit consistent. So it's not just yeah. 190 minutes and it's gone. You know, sure. a little bit of consistency, yeah. I think, helps. But um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't live in that on that end of the spectrum every single week. Um, and I, th- I think you said it, Like you've got to be careful, especially when it comes to goalkeepers. I think we ask goalkeepers to do more things which are uncomfortable for them than we do yeah. outfield players. Mm. So, you know, we, we're asking basically the goalkeeper to become your deepest line playmaker, when actually he's, at the moment he's just a goalkeeper, mm. you know, and he's just the hands and the saving part of it. You know, if you're asking an outfield player to do something uncomfortable, at least they're still an outfield player. It basically yeah. asking to become the next, and,
1: and if he's and if he's not very good at it, is his, his yeah. mate can get him out of jail because he's got someone five yards off him. You know what I mean?
2: And and, if, and, a, and an outfield player would have the choice to do it in a high risk or a low risk area, so they might do it in an area where yeah. it's wider than they're away from goal. We're putting the we're asking the goalkeepers to do this where one mistake and it's so it's we're it's probably heaping yeah. so much pressure on young goalkeepers. Um, but again, it depends on your goalkeeper, doesn't it? If you've got no goalkeeper that's really into rise to that challenge and it isn't a problem for, you can probably do it a bit more. If you've got someone that's lacking confidence, I'm not saying you should always protect them, but you might have to. You know that sometimes you have to protect somebody as a coach.
1: Yeah, yeah. If, if if someone... If, if It's an easier way to win the game or if there's an easier way to, to give this kid some relief by just saying, just go 30 yards over there for the next five minutes.
2: Then, uh, uh, <laughs> and it's... What's what's wrong if you plays a thirty yard ball onto someone's back yeah, exactly. foot and turns in it? There's, there's nothing wrong with that. You wouldn't now tell we've you. Got football, you to play. You know? would, don't tell you Central just to play five yards, do you? Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, so exactly. why would
2: you tell the why would you tell the goalkeeper? But it that, was a that, bizarre again, one, bro. Yeah. yeah. Each to their own, I guess.
0: I'm aware that we don't want to keep up too much of your evening, Dan. Um, but I did um put out some questions to Twitter. So unless Richard has any burning questions, um, I'm gonna show it over to some of our Avid coach, yeah, all, all three of them. Um, so I've got three, three uh, questions here from Twitter. So from Alfie at Curtis O Two One One, he's asked you: um, Do all academies? And again, you, I suppose you can't talk about all academies, obviously, but do all academies look for players only suitable for that club, or if they're talented regardless? I think that's quite an interesting question.
2: Yeah, I, I think both, and I think yeah. the bigger clubs are more specific in what they're looking for because they probably they can bring in that pool. Um, I think some clubs will have a specific profile of what they're looking for. And I think other clubs will have a, like well, we've got this player. He is our profile. What, what can we make him? So uh, I've always used it. You, the Gary Neville, and the Trent Alexander, Arnold fullback one. So top clubs might want the Trents, but the other clubs will take a Trent or a Gary and they'll just develop sure. them in, in that, yeah. in that way. Um, I think profiles are very good if you use them in the right way. If you use them to support what you do, not just this, this is what we do. Equally, if you, if you said to me, the player is the profile and we will make this boy as good as what he can be equally. I think that's a really good way. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think, I think the more bigger clubs, as I was saying, probably have more specific profiles because they can get that real top end player. I think the the lower you go down the spectrum, if you start locking your... because everyone's profile is going to be big, quick, technically strong. They're all going to be these yeah, brilliant yeah, buzzwords. Yeah. Not yeah. everybody's going to get them players in every position. Not everyone's going to get the Trent. You might, you might get the the Wan Bissaka.
1: Yeah. So do you, do you think it's important? Do you think it's important then for a player to keep their to keep their identity when they go into a club, um, and then maybe so keep keep their identity of what they've got got them in, and then maybe enhance them a little bit, make them the best version of themselves.
2: Yeah, that that just reminded me, What one thing I always say to the trials when they come in is, you've been brought in here, what do you do well? Because that's why you've been brought in here. So don't yeah. come in here and don't do that anymore, because that's the reason you've been scouted. Um, at Millwall, I don't mean this disrespect to each or any players I have. We might not have generally all well-rounded players that are brilliant at everything. We might have some that are really, really good scholars and get through to pro because they're really good at a small amount, well, not a small amount of stuff, but a really narrow focus, something yeah. that's really key for that position. And if that's the way they can get through, that's fine. So, yeah, I think if, if in terms of keeping your identity, if you're good at something, keep doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you'll all seen players that are really, that are really good at just getting on the ball and moving it. And next thing know go into a game and they want to take a thousand touches, and they're yeah. not good at beating people. They can't drive away. They invite pressure and they get bullied off it. It's because they're not doing what they're good at. So it, most people get recognised because they do some things really well. Uh, yeah, so I agree the yeah, there's I so there's that. so
0: many pros are trained individually. And if you had just a normal person walking past the pitch, they would probably go, "There's no way you that person, there's no way that person is a pro." Yeah. Like they're technically baggy, they don't look right, but they some of them have gone for millions of pounds because, as you said. They've narrowed down their game to make sure that what they do really, really well is effective on a first team football pitch. And that's what matters. It's all well and good having the player at 15 that can do everything and look amazing. Yeah. But it's going to be effective on a first team pitch. And it it could be a few things you do amazingly well. But as long as it works on a pitch, then that's what the aim of the game is.
2: Yeah. Listen, you can know a position. If you do four things to the top level for yes. that position, you're going to be really good at it. Yeah. You know, and so in terms of do people should keep their identity, yeah. And if their identity is what they're good at on the pitch, they should always continue to do that. Sure, brilliant. Uh, for me, I like that.
0: Force nine. I test ball two. Uh, great name. <laughs> uh, I'll. That's a great name. What's the thing they look for the most in players? So I guess is there like a specific attribute or trait? I mean, you kind of already answered this a little bit, but is there is there a go to thing that you will always kind of look for?
2: Um. Yeah, I think the, the clubs probably look for as, as something in every corner. You want to be like players we've sold have always had good, outstanding attributes in each corner. So you, it, I think it is a well rounded thing that the best have. They've got bits in every corner. But for me, my message is coming in. Do you want to go home? How long are we going to be? I'll be about, Harry, how long are we going to be? I'm getting, co- we're getting told. Like, two minutes. Two, two minutes. Two there, minutes.
0: There <laughs> we apologise for keeping it. It's <laughs> just too, just too good for so two. It's too good to talk to. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is staying in the pod, by the way. I hope you know that. Yeah.
2: Well, We're not I'm editing um, it out. Lost, completely lost my train of thought there. Where was we? What was the question? The attribute. The attribute you look for in players. Yeah, I, I, I think it's difficult to, to nail it down into one because we, we'll we take players that are really strong in, in the sight corner and the physical corner and they understand the game, but they might not have the technical corner. So yeah. it, it depends. The more strengths they have in each area, probably the better. But I, I, I would always go back to at the end of the day, it's a skills game, and yes, it's a yes. game with, and, it, and it's a game with There's a game of running in essence. Mm. So you've got to be able to move. If you're going to be at the top level, you have to have you have to be able to move well enough. And that doesn't mean sharpness and pace. It might just mean being able to go for a long time. You've got to yeah, have
1: mobility. Have to to yeah,
2: and it's a skills game. And if you can't execute the skill, I'm not talking about all the skills. It might just be the skills for your position. If you can't execute them, yeah. then you're going to find it very difficult. So I think that we've, they're the two that stand out for me the most when they come in. Yeah. And the, the psychological traits, if I'm honest, you don't really get to know a kid until you've had them for a long time. Mm. So mm-hmm. the, the longer you have them, the, the more you get to know of them on, on yeah. that front. And on the social front, the more you have them, the more you'll turn them into a good kid if you've got yeah. a good programme. Yes, yeah. So that completely makes
0: sense. Dan, I'm bit nervous about making you and your missus fall out i don't want to be the reason (laughs) i'm gonna no i'm gonna say thank you really much for appearing on it mate um you've been top draw um get budding coaches out there this is a great list of good advice so dan i really appreciate you uh giving your time and your evening to chat to us um and you know um i'm really pleased for you with uh with your role that you've got coming up it's fully deserved as well mate um no doubt you're smashing
2: Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, like i I'll said I can't quite announce it yet until no, no, that's and, fine. and all of that stuff. But yeah, I'm I'm um I'm really looking forward to it. So no, jizz, right. smashing, mate. And, and thanks, for, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. No, thanks not, for not coming not it's been brilliant. on. My pleasure at the Absolute
0: moment. Pleasure. But, yeah. So all that's left for me to do is to say thanks again to Dan. Thanks to Richard. Thanks, mate. Thanks to you guys, the listeners. Stay safe and see you soon.